Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is B.B. Peters with my delicious co-hosts, Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks and Jennifer Davis-Page. We're so glad you're tuning in today. So many of us here in beautiful Tucson and visitors from around the world are very familiar with the magnificent and annual Tucson Gem and Mineral Show. And here at Boom Goddess Radio, we're on a mission to reveal and illuminate the real human gems of Tucson and share their genius with you, our dear listeners. Today in studio, we're talking with the fascinating and soulful Monica Chapin about a most interesting invention and passion project that she and her husband Richard had been engaged with for the past 15 years called the Moonlight Collector. But before we dive into the description and healing aspects of the Moonlight Collector, let's get to know Monica a bit and see what encouraged her and Richard to this very pivotal, fascinating point in their lives. Hello, Monica. Hi there, Phoebe. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Boom Goddess Radio. We're so delighted to be here with you today. It's a, my pleasure. Nice to see everyone. <laughs> so please give our listeners a sense of who you are, your history in Tucson and elsewhere, and a little bit about your and Richard's backgrounds. Okay. Um, I was born and raised in Manhattan, uh, and that was in itself a learning experience. <laughs> um, turned out that at one point um, I figured out that I had a photographic memory. And it led me through school very simply. Never helped me speak Spanish a bit, but it did help <laughs> me see things uh, of history. I could read books in my mind. It was a very fascinating gift to have, and I didn't realize it till I was in about fifth grade. Um, so in that way, I wound up going to an all-girls school, and boy, learning about women. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. I had 250 women for, you know, girls, and we grew into that women. That was Hunter? Did you Hunter, Hunter? Hunter yes. College High School in yes. Manhattan. A lot yes. of people probably know that school if we they've do. been in Manhattan. Uh, and now it's, you know, it's been uh, by, it's, you know, it, it has boys. <laughs> but in my day, it was 250 women for six years. And so the same women. And I learned a lot about women. And I love uh, your Boom Goddess Radio. Oh, for thank you. one reason for that. Um, after I was graduating Hunter, uh, after being put into this intellectual mindset. Uh, I was raised very poor in the projects, by the way. I am not one of the Fifth Avenue girls, though I knew a lot of them. Uh, and, and that also uh, puts a perspective on you. I, in my neighborhood, being a white woman, I was actually a minority um, because of the projects being full of, of immigrants coming all the time. My mother was a German immigrant, and 10 years later, she's not the big thing on the street anymore. You know, now it's a whole other immigration group. And so I learned a lot about um, poverty and what that means, but that love is the answer to everything mm -hmm. because I had great parents and despite the fact it was scary out there, uh, I never had anything really happen to me and I grew up to be who I am. 
So that's great. And, but I remember there's another part to the story that's very interesting. And if we go back to the year that you were graduated from high school, I love this part of the story where you talk about your adventure. And I think that's relevant oh, of yeah. leaving home. Oh, yes. Now, that is true. Um, I had my first what I would call like almost a revelation. I didn't know that that term. You know, you're 16. It's the 1960s. Maybe it, maybe it's 1970 by then. Um, and I was in a subway station, and it was freezing cold, and every day I left, it was dark in the morning, and every day I came home, it was dark at night, and I just didn't see the light of day, and it was freezing cold, and it smelled like bad things, and there was definitely graffiti everywhere, and I was going to the school every day, and it was just overwhelming. And I sat there just sort of cursing in my mind that this is the sixth year I've been doing this, and I, uh, you know, uh, and then, done with it. And then, yes, I was done with this. And what, how is this hell? What? Where am I living? And, and I look over, and there's a little bench next to me. It's rush hour, but I still can see this woman sitting there with her baby, playing with her baby. And she's holding the baby up and, and putting it in the air and hugging it. And she's in heaven. And it hit me that we're in the same place. And she's in heaven, and I'm in hell. Mm -hmm. And she's getting all the cold air and all the graffiti and all that. But no, she's giving out love. And that was the first time, you know, I don't know, but the Beatles were around saying all there is is love. But honestly, first time I ever really experienced it. When I graduated um, Hunter College High School, I had a scholarship to, of course, the college right next door. <laughs> uh, but I was, like, done with intellectual. And the, reason I, the only reason I brought up that photographic memory was because I had been put through a system to become something that inside, after revelations like Love's the Answer, didn't really fit me. And though I had the scholarship, I decided to take off hitchhiking across the United States, which in those days, I guess people were doing more of. I did go college. It was very glamorous. It. Yeah, to very do. Gam yes. glamorous. And, and very brave of you. Oh, very, very brave. brave and you. also, I was just, uh, you know, I have to laugh because I carried around this guitar for my image. I didn't play the guitar. I carried it from <laughs> around. No, and I didn't play the guitar. But that was, you know, I wanted to. I maybe knew three chords. But I carried it, <laughs> and I went from college ride board to college ride board. I wasn't exactly out on the street with my thumb out. but um, So I made it all the way across the country, and um, when I tried to go to Berkeley and places where I thought the love was still happening, and this is about 1974 by then, um, it wasn't happening anymore there. It's sort of been all passed over. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to find the, the beans and all the things that I was hoping for. No, we had to be objecting to the war and really kind of, you yes, know, there was a lot creating of drama in a different way. Now, that's, were you hitchhiking across America by yourself, or did you convince somebody to travel with you? Well, I, I made it as far... I try to c convince my girlfriends. One of them was still at Michigan State, so I hitchhiked to Michigan State, and then she joined me. Uh, however, that's where we were going, was Berkeley to see her sister. Uh, and in the end result, when I got there, nothing much was happening, and uh, I, another hitchhiker had come on to this college uh, ride board car we were in, and it turned out the man who owned the car and was driving us was a Mount Rainier forest ranger, and that's where he was heading. In but Seattle, he, Washington. Yeah, in Seattle, Washington, yes. Mount Rainier, and, and that's where he was eventually going, and that's why he kept taking in hitchhikers, and here we How were. How fortunate. Together. To be safe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when it wasn't happening in California, I kept on going to Seattle. Why not? That's where he was heading. And he picked up a hitchhiker that was going to a place called the Love Family. 
And that's a very interesting thing. And so I thought, Love? Oh, wait wait a minute. That's my first revelation. Wait, Mm. Love Family? I thought his last name was Love, you know, and this was going to be a family that was trying to start something new for the world. But it already turned out to be a small commune on Queen Anne Hill. Uh, Many people up there know it. Many books have been written about it. And when I arrived, there was about 30 people. When I 11 years later left, uh, there was 460. So I kind of helped form that. I was very young. I was only 19. But inside you always are who you are. And and even though I was young and stupid and carrying a guitar and doing (laughs) goofy things, I still in my heart had this need to to help others. So So was the Love family like a compound or a commune or something? Yeah, it was, you know, that's an interesting saying. It wasn't any of the dangerous things that you've heard about, you know, Jim Jones and all those crazy ones. Though my mother was very worried about me when she... She, when Jim Jones happened, I was over there, so that was a big thing. Um, but anyway, it was more or less, it was based on religion, sort of. Uh, God was definitely the center of it. Um, you came in celibate. You gave up all your worldly possessions, which at 19, my, guitar, my right. guitar went out the door to somebody who actually right. could play it. That's what happened there. <laughs> I had maybe $100 in my, you know, to my name, so that was like nothing for me to give up my worldly possessions. But um, it was actually homes rented on the top of Queen Anne Hill with their backyards connecting. And we do things like clean up the neighborhood and, you know, have morning meditations. And, you know, and to me, I needed that I just that was the other part of me missing and so would you say that was the introduction to spirituality for you well absolutely because I had never really given up much you know growing up in the projects uh, well I shared a bedroom with my two brothers which was okay by the way I didn't have any of the things that sometimes happen Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know I was always in a tight situation I remember when I when I was young I bought a yoga mat and tried to lay it in the floor between the two beds and it didn't even fit so I tried Mm. to do like a meditation Mm. and I didn't even have enough room to put the yoga mat down and so yes this was me saying there's another part of me and I need to figure out what it is Um, that's why this story is so important because the the roots um, of your feeling of community and the spirit in your heart and the courage, of course, from your heart. Uh, and back in the day, there was less fear and less anxiety engendered. You know, when you think about raising children today, it's a very different kind of thing. Like you said, you know, the kinds of things that happen when a family lives in too close quarters. Mm-hmm. So okay, bring us okay. So bring so, us yeah, back to the move aftermath. Us into the yeah. next okay, stage, we're the next going. Stage we're going out. So I was there for eleven years, and uh, the, the the commune or whatever you want to call it did grow very large. We had millionaires join, uh, who really gave in money. So we had a place in Alaska. We had fishing ships, places in Hawaii, a big four hundred acre organic ranch. Uh, I lived out there for a long time, and a city girl going to grow food was was my first experience but I knew I had to learn all this stuff because you know I was out of tune I was really not in tune (laughs) with what life was really about you know in that stage Uh, when it broke up I was about 30 and I'd always heard about Tucson and I was coming from a very wet place Seattle and Arlington and all the places up there very 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 wet I know it personally (laughs) I know baby you're from there Uh, and so I just needed to visit some friends down here and they said come on down and they had told me about what became my husband uh, years earlier but I said I'm doing this thing you know I'm sorry I'm I'm not coming down to Tucson but now as timing 
and stars aligned, yeah. uh, it was time to come down here. And sure enough, in the first week I met him, and I had three children by then. I had been married up in Seattle, and I was divorced already. And uh, a single mom, a with single mom children. with three kids under ten years old, oh, starting oh, over at age thirty, oh. who had given up everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, like oh. I had really, literally given up everything. I, I came with nothing in my pocket, really, and mm. I, and I was going to start over. Uh, that was it, you know. And I know a lot of us face that in life. Uh, it is one of the things that is amazing. You're doing uh, the podcast, but we can't wait for the movie. Okay. Not the yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Um, so I met Richard, and Richard owned the Tankerverde Swap Meet. Uh, he had started it when he was 22, and now he was 31, I guess, or so at that time. And um, he was a self-made millionaire, even at that time. Um, and and yet he cared about nothing. He had he had one sheet on his bed, a little kitten that he had on his on his shoulder half the time, and and roomed with three other guys in this house, and had tried to start a pyramid restaurant in the shape of the real pyramid of Egypt, uh, with uh, with health food. And and you're talking way back in Tucson, very you know not not near the UVA or anything. And so I clicked with him immediately. I thought, oh, this is somebody that really honestly has uh, doesn't care about. Uh, so much the financial has it in his heart that he wants to do a community thing like the swap meet and, and he did it um, and and you know I, I, and I had three children and right away I said to him you've never really been married or had children so I you know much as I would probably marry you next week and I probably would have we're going to wait a couple of years and see if this is really going mm. to happen I was pretty reasonable at that point um, but I knew right away uh, recognition is a very interesting thing. It's it almost stronger is. than love uh, yes. to recognize Isn't it? someone. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I recognized him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we did. We got married. Yeah. <laughs> and he was he is an amazing father, quite frankly. And we went on to have one more daughter when I was almost 40, which is so my daughters are 18 years apart from youngest to oldest. So kind of. But they're all daughters. All daughters. Four yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about love. <laughs> yeah, really, really. So that brings me to the present, I guess. Wow. Well, we are so delighted that you are sharing your life story with us. Thank you for doing that. We cannot wait to get to the next phase and talk about your and Richard's passion, the Moonlight Collector, and let all our listeners know how that came about, how it was created, its power and magic. And so we'll be right back. So we're back with the wonderful and generous Monica Chapin and my two wonderful co-hosts, B.B. Peters and Jennifer Davis-Page. And just listening to the story of the origins of Monica, who I affectionately call Monica Moonlight, Mm -hmm. um, but looking at the roots of how a person's personality and set of interests form, and then how interesting it is that life presents us with opportunities to recognize like you recognize the lady sitting on the bench with the baby and your heart knew that this was an important revelation to you. You didn't think much about it. You just, boom, felt it like a jolt. And the same thing happened when you met Richard. You recognized him as if you'd known him before. So tell us a bit about what happened to you, how the two of you, you had one child together, but now you birthing this project. What exactly is um, the origin of that idea? Well, it uh, 
it came from a friend of ours that was dying of pancreatic cancer, um, which is still on uh, something, and we're talking 15, 16 years ago now, still uh, on the 3% recovery rate. Alex Trebek has it right now, and he's trying to come over it, and we've seen many people in our lives, I'm sure. Um, anyway, she went through a bunch of U of A trials, our friend Connie, and uh, when they started repeating the U of A trials, she said to Richard, um, because Richard thinks outside the box much more than even I do, and, I, and we've been married almost 30 six years, 35 years, um, I could tell you he still thinks outside the box. And so she's turned to him and said, nothing on this planet's going to save me. They're repeating the trials. This is it. You know, this is it for me. And you did a, oh, well, we also did a science center get together before this. Richard also did a traveling science center uh, where he did exhibits from uh, all over the world and did holographic uh, things that were hands-on for children. We traveled around the United States. That all happened in my 30s and, and uh, starting into my 40s. Um, and we sold that off. And so she knew that we had a creative mind, let's put it that way, but him in particular in this case. And a scientific mind. And a scientific mind. Now, he's a U of A graduate and, and psychology, uh, but he also built telescopes. Even when he was 16, he sold his first telescope he built. So he has that ability to look outside and love the stars. So he, when she said this, he said, you know, I once read something a long time ago, and a friend of mine who's a, you know, a doctor here in town said that uh, when he was in his residency in Hawaii, that they told him that moonlight has something to do with health. And he said, you know, I'm a doctor, so I don't really go into this kind of stuff. But Richard, you know, you're looking for something. Go look that direction. So Richard, you know, is like, okay, you know, I, you know, I love the, t I build telescopes. I do understand that I love the stars. So he goes down to U of A, and he has to bury himself into the um, reference section because if otherwise it would have been out already. Everybody would have seen it. So it must be somewhere buried, and he's not a U of A student any longer, so he can't take anything out. So every night comes home hundreds of mimeograph sheets of paper. Back in and, the day. Yeah, back in right. the day. Mimeograph, mimeograph. Right, we're going back you know, before everything that we Xerox, had. even. Xerox out, right? I was giving him change in the morning. It was even before credit cards in a mimeograph <laughs> machine. Right. I mean, we really... Uh, Fed yeah, the machine. Yes. <laughs> the machine, right? And so he starts reading all these different things about moonlight and starlight, and, and there was a lot written about it. Um, and he comes home one day and he says to me, um, you know, I think that the healing power is in the frequency of the moon. And I immediately shot back with, we're all getting cancer down here and we're all under the moon. He goes, no, 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 no. The moon in the last millions of years has moved away. It moves away an inch a year. It's millions of years of it moving away. And it's not a primordial soup like it used to be where it, it, it affected the tides and they would come way up into this, you know, like the, the way the waves used to be when the earth was forming. Uh, he says no longer anything like that. Uh, in fact, pollution is blocking us and, um, the, the actual frequency, he said, is, is something that I would need to concentrate. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Is it like a telescope? He goes, no, a telescope doesn't actually concentrate the light. You look through it, and it magnifies how, how the distance that you go. I've, I've learned a lot, as you could tell. <laughs> the distance that you can go and see something, but it doesn't actually magnify the light of it. He says, no, I want to magnify the light of it, and that's what's going to help us. That was brilliant. Mm -hmm. That was the brilliant no idea. No pun intended. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, very good. That's cute. Um, anyhow, what wound up happening was he made one mirror. 
um, and it was eight feet by four feet. It was actually one of our exhibits from the Science Museum. It was a big parabolic. Um, it was intended to have you be able to hear across a room with these big parabolic mirrors by whispering into one of them. But he covered it in mirrors. And the first night I came out uh, to try the prototype out, he turned it toward the moon and then reflected that one mirror at me. And I broke out laughing. I just broke out laughing. It was the happiest moment. I, I, I didn't expect it. I just thought, oh, this light's going to make me squint or something. That right. was my thought before it happened. But all of a sudden, the light came on me, and it was a heavenly light magnified. And I just broke out laughing. It just hit a joy spot in my brain. Mm. And Probably I said, the I think pineal you know gland that's, right that's here. That's it. That's exactly right. You, that's right. I didn't know that then. And I said, I think you have something here. So then he says to me, okay, well... He says, we don't really have a lot of money. I, well, we had to move the swap meet. In the middle of all of craziness of life, uh, the swap meet had to move. It used to be on Tanka Verde if you live in Tucson. And it moved over to Palo Verde um, because he was a college student. He did not own the land. And they sold the land out from under him, so he had to go. So we really had no money in the bank. And I was like, uh, okay, so what does this mean that you have to build something? <laughs> and and he said, well, it means you're not getting a new car for you know 10 or 20 years. You know, That's what it's going to mean, Monica. And, I said, oh, that's fine. That's fine. And, and uh, you know, I'm okay with that. You, you have the right woman here. I've, I've lived without money. I, I, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, however, what wound up happening was that he decided that if it was going to actually work, he was going to have to build it really, really big. And that's when things started getting kind of crazy. And he'd have to hire the best people because it needed, uh, it needed scientific knowledge behind it. So he's hiring the best people from Kitt Peak, U of A Optics, but they all work during the week and it's only the weekends. Meanwhile, Connie, my poor friend, uh, we're taking her to appointments or her husband can work and, and all this, but she could not hang on because uh, it took over a year and a half to build it. Um, and that, she's still in my heart and mind, and I am tearing up right now, so <laughs> sorry she's still there. Uh, but she was the catalyst. Right, she's like the guardian angel of the guardian whole project. Guardian angel of the whole project, that's exactly yeah. right. She was a kindergarten teacher, never had her own children, but now she's birthed this whole thing. I mean, to me, she's the inspiration. Um, so he developed this yes, so then magnificent, all magnificent crazy, big, what huge was the thing. Size? It was five stories high, <gasps> 30 tons, and uh, cost us over a million dollars. Now, we didn't have a million dollars, so everything in the world, including the swap meet, everything went up on mortgage. And people ask me, how did you live through that? Oh, my God, you're already in your 50s, because we were at that time. And I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting. Money money is seen so many different ways and certainly you need money on this planet but as human beings we sometimes forget that it's meant to be used i mean it's meant to be used you know i had an uncle once who died with four hundred thousand dollars in the bank because he wouldn't give it to uh the hospital he thought it was a waste to give it to the hospital and i thought to myself what <laughs> you know what you know use use it use it to take care of yourself but if you can help mankind that was where we were at we wanted to help mankind so this huge thing in the desert, we had 13 acres out down Ajo Way past Ryan Airfield, um, and it was no light pollution there because right next door was the state park. So it was really beautifully set up for this. And, you know, we there it was. And it was May of probably 2006, I think, when we first opened it. And it had 84 mirrors on it um, that had to be aligned to the moonlight. 
and each mirror was eight feet by four feet. And the whole thing was parabolic, which means it curves in, but it was also parabolic the other direction, and a thing called off-axis, which means that your head will never get in the way of the moon being behind your head and the light shining to the big mirror and then back on you. So it produced 70 times the light that you put in front of it, which in our case was usually the full moon. And it would form a beam eight, uh, six to eight feet uh, in a, in a nice circle so two people could stand together and get beamed. <laughs> wow. And wow. Closest thing to the heavenly light. Chills. Chills uh, I get when you describe that. Uh, and I just imagine the possibility of being ensconced by this Getting beamed. I love that. I think that should be on the business card. Just get beamed. Get beamed. Right. <laughs> right. right. Makes people question. Absolutely. Uh, well, and so when we opened it um, to align these mirrors, you know, this is the first th time this has ever been built. So everything is new to us. I mean, we're using mathematics from U of A and we're, you know, trying to figure it all out. But we opened with 23, I think it was mirrors of the 84 completely aligned to the moon. And, you know, the press came out, all that kind of thing happened. Um, and then, <laughs> and then monsoons came because it was May. So we shut the whole thing down for the summer. And meanwhile, we kept aligning mirrors. So the second time we got it opened up that year in September, now it had like 50 mirrors aligned. And the the intensity of it was amazing. But moonlight is not just reflected sunlight. If I could talk a little bit about yes, moonlight. Yes, please do. Okay, moonlight is not reflected sunlight, even though if you go to NASA, right on the front page, that's what it says. Um, it actually has a different frequency completely because sunlight, though the moon has no light of its own, it's not a star like the sun. Um, when the sunlight hits the moon, um, it refracts off of all of the moon's surface. Now, the moon is um, a vacuum, does not have an atmosphere. Um, so that light is directly hitting every stone on the moon. The, stone, the moon's stones, are some of them are crystalline, some of them are full of oxygen, some of them are doing all sorts of things. So when this light hits that and refracts back and reflects back to the Earth, it leaves behind 97% uh, of the bad UV rays um, that we worry about with sunlight when we're in the sunlight. We need sunlight, by the way. I'm not putting sunlight down, by the way. I'm very happy sunlight's on this planet. Uh, but moonlight is kind of the forgotten light. It's the second largest light in our sky, and for some reason, maybe because it's nighttime, we're all tired, whatever it is, we don't go out in it. Um, so the moonlight, basically, when it comes back and, and, and it hits you, um, it energizes, more than energizes, scientifically, Every cell in your body has a receptor for light, whether it'll ever see the light of day. I'm talking your inner cells, every cell. And that's why they warn you now about your tablets and everything and shutting things down because yes. every light, good or bad, has an effect on your cells. Um, moonlight is actually in your cells. There is a genetic component to your cells that require you to have moonlight the same way you're required to have sunlight. It's a kind of a forgotten thing. Uh, it controls your circadian rhythm, not the sun, the moon does. And just recently, there and are... And the circadian rhythm is circadian. a 24-hour rhythm. Yeah, it's a 24-hour cycle of your body. Uh, it's the way your cells slough off, but it's also your organs, and it's also your eating and sleeping pattern. So those things all together, you could see Americans right there. Here we are in high-tech world, and everybody uh, thinks they're going to be out, be able to outsmart their bodies. That's what I think Americans think. I really do. I think they think, uh, it doesn't matter if I watch one more show till midnight, I'll still go to sleep. Well, no, you don't. And, you know, I, I mean, it's like, I don't know. We think we can outsmart our bodies. I don't think we can. <laughs> I think our bodies are still you. 
human and we're on this planet, no matter how much high tech we get, you know, I think we have to pay attention to ourselves and, and, and pay attention to the fact we're shooting through the universe right now. Right now we're on a planet shooting through the universe and, you know, you very rarely think of that. Um, so with the moonlight um, and, and people, um, you can tell that the, the cycle that you're missing which is eating and sleeping, mostly for Americans, um, this ability of this moonlight collector to give you 70 times the full moon, it takes just between 3 and 20 minutes to get what would be um, a complete cycle through your body. Your endorphins, your serotonin, your whole brain pattern changes. We've done quite a bit of testing before and after it the people have been in the moonlight and it's like getting three hours of meditation in 20 minutes of being in this light oh, that's amazing. how your body takes oh, it how fantastic. The optimum dose optimum. are there any other people on this planet that are doing what you and richard have 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 found are successful with moonlight no no there isn't <laughs> in fact he has a patent that was one thing he was very strict about um in his mind that um uh, if it well so many things i don't want to be a negative or a conspiracy theory person i'm not that person i'm a very positive person but i i'm aware i'm aware that uh, when he went to get the patent that the government could immediately uh created if they wanted to. His patent would mean nothing to the government if they wanted it for military, if they wanted it for anything. Mm -hmm. And we did find out that they are using applications of Moonlight. The government is, and believe this or not, what they're using it on is rocket fuel. If you put Moonlight, concentrated Moonlight on rocket fuel, it actually activates the little minerals in the fuel to be just a little bit better. Mm. And, and right there, you can see that it's not just humans, it's everything on the planet has a relationship to moonlight. So the patent he has is not just for the way the mirrors are, because they're lightweight, because this thing could have weighed more than 50 tons. It could have weighed you know, 500 tons if, if the mirrors hadn't been more lightweight on it. Um, but also, he fought for it for three years with the patent office. He actually has a patent, and I'll say it out loud because it's amazing. Um, for all interstellar light, so that would be the sun, the stars, a comet going by, interstellar light, our sun, to terrestrial life. My. He fought for that statement because he didn't want it to get into the wrong hands right, right. and be used for something negative. Well, so we have this structure, this magnificent 84-panel <laughs> structure on 13 acres of land that reflects moonlight and people from all over the world are coming to experience it and then disaster yes. strikes here comes the movie set right. <laughs> we'll so be right back so we're here with the wonderful and mesmerizing and fascinating Monica Chapin talking about a project of love that she and her husband Richard have developed over the years. And uh, Monica, take us to that moment where this beautiful structure is on the ground. People are coming to experience the benefits of moonlight reflection and therapy. And what happens next? Okay. Um, yes, there was over 
probably close to 4,000 people came from all over the world to go through it. Um, and it was up for four and a half years. And Richard got his moment of fame, even on his on his birthday, no less. They didn't know that, but on their on his birthday, they filmed him for Good Morning America, and he was in magazines all over the world and and touted as the next healing um, modality. Really, um, how did all these people get to know him? How did they get to know him? Uh, we did at the time have a marketing agency. Uh, we did. I don't know if I should give them a plug, but I will. They're still in town, <laughs> and they are wonderful. And uh, they managed to do that. They managed to get Richard's name out. Um, Good. And it worked. You know, it worked that people would find us. And, you know, we had we had an office, and people would call in and ask for time. And, and the first three or four years, we didn't charge anything for people to come out there, except oh. please write us what happened to you, because, honestly— it's almost like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where he just built that thing, and he didn't know why he was building it until the end of the movie. Well, there's a Moonlight Collector is a very similar thing. We just were told we had to do this, and, and it was taking everything out of us, and we just were going to do it, and so we had to hear back. And so, that was and what, what did was. you hear, please? Uh, so tell us what oh, did so you what hear? did happen what to feedback? people? Right. Okay, so yeah. what happened to people? Um, most people um, immediately felt the, the sense of peace. Um, uh, they weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting to be able to keep their eyes open in it, which it's not harmful for your vision, which is uh, an amazing thing. And most people had uh, come out there with either a problem. Uh, I, I am not trained in this, but I became on boots on the ground trained in seeing people that were very ill and, it, you know, had been struck by lightning on a golf course. And now we're in a wheelchair. Um, the most the most famous story of all was, and I've said it before to the ladies here, was a little girl that was needing a heart transplant, and she beca I became very attached to her, um, and she had been born with uh, um, half a heart, and at age I think it was one and a half they they transplanted her heart, but I didn't realize that hearts don't grow. Transplanted hearts don't really grow, and so she was going to reach puberty very soon, and her heart had not grown to become an adult heart, so they were going to have to give her. Another transplant. So her parents were divorced, and every month uh, one of them would bring her. And she was young; she was maybe 12, somewhere around there. And I grew very attached to her because you don't see kids out there that late at night. Sometimes we would be there till three in the morning, you know. So there she was. And finally, after and I finally started asking. I tried not to pry, but I did ask why she was coming, and they explained it to me. And then all of a sudden, after six months, she just stopped coming. So I thought, okay, it must be time for her surgery, and I'll let it go a couple of months. And and, you know, then I'm, I'm going to be nosy. Sorry, I'm going to call him and I'm going to go find out what happened to her because she was so dear to me. And so I call after about three months and they said to me, oh, we, we didn't we forgot to tell you. Uh, we went in for the last checkup and they said her heart had grown and she didn't need a transplant. And, and I meant to tell you because they called it a miracle, but I think it was the moonlight. And, and I mean, uh, this is just coming from you know, uh, the father. And uh, that was like, I mean, I even had to step back on that one. Uh, that was the biggest, most amazing. Dramatic. Thing. Transformation. Dramatic, dramatic thing that happened out there. Right. What it did seem to do, the top, if you want the top five things yes. that it yes. did, um, it would be, number one would be uh, forms of depression. Number two would be skin lesions or things that happened with uh, skin cancers. That that and scarring was a really interesting one too. Uh, number three would be thyroid 
thyroid was uh, very affected by this. Uh, many people who were way out in whack in thyroid found themselves going back in, and and we actually had people getting off that medical pill that you tell you're told you probably are never going to get I'm off of. Signing up. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. There you go. People are told they can. Now, were these, were these miracles as a result of just one session, one 20-minute session in the moonlight, mm -hmm. or did they come back time and time again? Well, that's interesting. And of then course, number five. Yes. Oh. <laughs> right, right. Number five is asthma. Now, you know, what we have figured out over the years is that the moonlight seems to help with inflammation, and inflammation is sort of the cause of most of all of our diseases, as, you know, I'm really a layman here, but you know, please forgive me doctors out there <laughs> for talking like this. But it's honestly, 100% <laughs> true. The research bears that Oh, out. okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's sort of what I've seen. And so um, that would be almost immediate. And when people went into the big collector, which was the large one, now we have a smaller version, which I could talk about later. But the big one, uh, it was three to five minutes. And very often one time, uh, the girl with the heart definitely came every month for just five minutes. I mean, we're not talking that you have to come every night. Uh, no, it's not like that. Your body immediately reacts to it and takes it in, and the cells just start responding. Um, the Nobel Prize uh, just went to three scientists last year for the circadian rhythms, and they had the whole thing about moonlight. They studied it for Did 17 they? years, and oh. you could look that up online, but uh, they, they won a prize over it. Stockholm, here we come. Here we come. <laughs> 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 yeah, anyway. I don't know. Oh, right. So that was the timing yes. that we were talking yes, about. Yes, so that's the timing. And so um, after four and a half years and thousands of people, um, we it was, <laughs> it was very coming up very soon here. July 19th, a uh, big monsoon storm came through Tucson. And we were home. Uh, we live about 45 minutes away from there. But we have site managers and people that were, it was a, there was an RV out there and, you know, things. And we had a site manager out there. And... We get a call from him saying that a microburst had come through the property. Now, we had a huge tent out there, like a big white tent that could hold 70 people in it because people needed a nice place to sit and wait until it was their turn to go into the light. Um, and that was maybe 50 feet away from the moonlight collector. Um, which, again, I'll repeat, was 30 tons and five stories high mm. and, and rated to be able to take 100 and and uh, 110 miles an hour. Uh, winds. Because winds, winds, right. Yeah. So, you know, we had the best people build it. I mean, this thing was amazing. Uh, anyway, he says to us, in one lightning flash, I saw half of the collector come down, <laughs> and the next lightning flash, I saw the other half of all the mirrors come off. And, yeah. and he, then he says, but the tent is still standing. And I said, what? And then he says, it's, it's a microburst. I don't know how else to explain it. And of course, you know, and it was, it was, it was so sad because it was your dreams too, you know, and, what, and it was, was your it direction. insured? No, in fact, no. We tried to insure it. Uh, the only people that would insure it was, was Lloyd's of London. Right, of, course. <laughs> of course. But they wanted, and I, I, I'm going to say this number. It might not have been correct, but it was over uh, $2,000 a day to insure it. Wow. And, and we were even asking people to pay to be there. Right. right. So right. we had to give that idea up yeah. pretty quickly Just that it was question. going to be insured. Yeah. Not insured. Um, 
we had our crew go out and, and take down the mirrors as well as they could. And, and finally, after about a week, we got up enough nerve to even go look at it because it looked like a modern ancient rune. I mean, it was there on the ground. And, and uh, Did the glass uh, shatter into infinite pieces? No. The mirrors? Um, no. They were structured not to do that so but they all came off uh and some of the backs got twisted because they are fiberglass in the back and metal in the back to hold them on to the big frame the frame was still standing there and the hydraulics which are huge they're like the mast of a ship the hydraulics on that thing um but the whole thing was down, and and at that point, uh, I didn't. I really didn't know what to say. I, I really, I mean, Richard and I just looked at each other, and you know, you try to be a positive person, but I was just yes. as depressed as you could be. I mean, I couldn't devastated. believe it. Devastated. So there's the no word. putting this puzzle back together again. There's no. none of that. None of that twisted metal. No, no putting it back together. Mm-hmm. It was over for that, for that, for now, for there. Um, and so my friend, Lynn Gardner, I'll give her a little plug. She's a psychic intuitive here in town. She's been my friend for a long time, and she's a wonderful person. And she had already signed us up. She had gone to Egypt 20 times or so, and she had signed us up to go to Egypt uh, right before this whole collector thing had gone down because it was Richard and my 25th anniversary. This is in 2010. And... I had done the down payment we had saved up. We were going, you know, all this, and it was supposed to happen in the fall. And I completely called her up and said, no, I can't do anything. I can't even move out of my bed. Are you kidding? I, mm-hmm. I, I You know, it's not about the money because we still owed the money no matter what happened to this thing. But it wasn't the loss about that. of a dream, the dream is so painful. Oh, yes. it was a dream. And we thought we had really found something for mankind. I mean, it was on so many levels. I can't even tell you how many levels this went. Anyway, my good friend kept saying to us, no, no, Egypt will help you. Egypt is an ancient land. Egypt has so many runes. Egypt has still energy in it with runes. You, you know, you're going to have an experience. Please still come. Please still come on the trip. And it was a small trip of 10 people, and it was a spiritual trip. And, it, and so we went uh, is really how that goes. Uh, meanwhile, we had our crew still constantly trying to clean up the area. And, and of course, it probably was on the news that it went down. But, you know, people couldn't go anywhere anymore they couldn't go out to it so october comes and we go to egypt with our group and uh richard and i are still feeling pretty awful but you know hey it's our 25th anniversary um the first three days we wound up going in the king's chamber and renewing our vows in the king's chamber and doing a whole ceremony of kind of forgiveness for the planet and forgiveness what we did to the planet as people and Mm -hmm. just kind of a forgiveness it was a very interesting i'd never been in a forgiveness ceremony so that was Mm -hmm. really fascinating and we infused stones and then it came time for us to renew our vows um when we were in the Great Pyramid, I don't know how many people have ever been there, but Richard, we as I, have not. no one here has been there. No, oh. no. As soon as Egypt, when they opened the new Cairo Museum, please go back to Egypt, everyone. Mm. Uh, the people there are lovely. Terrorists are everywhere in the world. Don't be afraid. Uh, I want to say that right now, because mm. um, the people there were amazing. Um, so we're in the Great Pyramid, and. The king's chamber is at the top. It's 44 stories up, by the way. If you're not a good walker, they don't tell you that. when you <laughs> And you have to lean down because it's at an angle. But I do want to remind you that Richard built a pyramid 30 years earlier in Tucson to the specs of the Great Pyramid. So to him, 
uh, he's not Egyptian, but to him, the Great Pyramid had some meaning that somewhere in his, who knows where. He's not Egyptian, but he's just a genius. He's just yeah. a genius. Let's just say it. Yeah. Let's just there say you it. go. Right. That's Richard. Call it what it is. That's Richard. Right. So while we're up there, I, you know, I had written out my vows. You know, I was going to say thank you and uh, for all the years and whatever the kids and you know all the things that you say, but the moment happened in the Great Pyramid where we looked at each other. And I didn't think he was going to come up with anything because he's, he's somewhat quiet sometimes. Uh, and I said mine. And then I looked at him in the eyes and timelessness happened. We were in space travel. I, Richard and I had known each other forever. And then he just came out with this eloquent thing of, of knowing me forever. And then we finally started dropping off the pain that we'd had. It took that moment to drop off the pain oh, of everything we were feeling. We remembered, oh, wait a minute. I mean... I personally don't know if I've had other lifetimes. I know a lot of people feel that, but I know I know Richard, and I know I'm here this time to help Richard. Uh, it's part of who I am and part of why I'm here. Uh, and in that moment, I saw it so clearly, uh, you know, uh, that we're a spirit, really, and everything on the earth is going to pass away eventually, and so we have to be spirit and love each other again. There you are with the love. Um, began with love. Again with love. Again with love. Again with love. But I think the most dramatic thing that happened in Egypt, I don't know if we have time for it. Yeah, okay. The most dramatic thing happened um, when we went to a, a place in Egypt where Akhenaten, who uh, was King Tut's father, that's the most fame that most people would recognize him by, he tried to move the capital of Egypt to a different place. And so we went to the land of Akhenaten. He was the pharaoh at the time. He believed in one god uh, instead of all the Egyptian gods, but he didn't believe in just one god. He believed in the energy behind the sun. Uh, which to me is oneness. Uh, I think it gets misinterpreted, but when you're in Egypt you and you see the hieroglyphics, you begin to understand that it was bigger than we in America maybe hear about. Um, so the land is devastated. I'm wondering why we drove the extra three and a half hours to get to a place that has like one pillar standing in the mm. middle of it. <laughs> I mean, really. And then there's a cave in the hillside that's being guarded by an Egyptian. And so my, my guide, Lynn Gardner, says, well, that's where we're going. We're going up to the, the hillside there. And we get up there, and there's a guard. And in Egypt, it's not like a security guard that you would hire here. It's people's generational lineage to guard these sites. So the guard standing in front of this Egyptian site has been doing it in his family for centuries. I mean, it's an amazing feeling to see that, to feel a that statue? their energy. Is it a statue? No, it's a man. A it's person. an actual person. Okay. The lineage of the man. Okay. He's standing there. and. 2,000 years ago or whatever during, well, probably more than that, uh, during Akhenaten's time, his family stood there and did that. And so right there, you get, you, you're right, you're in an unusual place. And so we walked in and, and there's hieroglyphics, beautiful ones in color, and the front of the cave is lit by the natural light, but there's a back of the cave that's not a secondary place. And so we go in the front and we meditate, we lay on the ground and we're looking at the hieroglyphics and a beautiful, beautiful cave. And then it's time to go out. So everybody goes out, the 10 people, and I'm the last one out. And the guard, who I just described to you, turns to me and said, uh, Yalabina, which means come back. Yalabina, Monica, he says, come back. Uh, I, w I want to show you something. So I took one look at everybody going down the hillside. I'm adventurous. I immediately turned around and went back in the cave with the guard. Because <laughs> I just thought, this is an opportunity, and I'm going to 
figure out what's happening here. So we go into the back part of the cave, which is all dark in there. And now I'm I'm with this, I realize, a stranger, and everybody's probably down the hill already, but I'm like, okay, this is, what is he going to show me? So he shows me the spiral staircase that goes into the hillside. And each step on the spiral staircase is probably about four feet high. Um, quite tall. Quite tall. As you're spiraling up, he had to lift me onto each step, and then I'd stand up and start start walking, and then he'd lift me to the next step. So I'm going into the hillside. I'm now about 15 steps up before Richard turns around and goes, where's Monica? <laughs> right? What happened to her? So he goes back, and he goes back into the cave. Now, Richard's not a big person for caves, but he's looking for me now. And he's it's a holy site, so he can't start screaming, Monica, where are you? You know, you can't start doing that. So he has to walk into that back area, uh, which was the dark part where the spiral staircase began. But I'm already up into the mountain. He can't see me there. I'm not I'm not on floor level. And all of a sudden, and this is a story that that I don't often tell, but I know there's viewers out there and people out there, radio listeners who need to hear stuff like this occasionally. And this does not happen to me every day, may I say. But Richard, who is a kind of a Christian-oriented person, um, all of a sudden had a time-traveling person come and put his arm around him. Now, this is a spirit, and it filled up Richard completely Mm. and began talking to Richard. And what he said to Richard was, you are my best friend. You have always been my best friend. You are my best friend now. Time is meaningless, and I know what happened to you. Then he begins talking in Egyptian terms. He said, I know the big light with the lotus blossoms of, of mirrors, you know, because he was trying to describe, you know, the spirit's trying to describe the big collector yeah. to Richard. And then he said something very interesting. He said, with or without you, Richard, this is going to happen. With or without you, but my friend, I hope it's you that brings it, and I hope it's you that lives to do it, because we, you know, his blood pressure had gone up from this whole event. I mean, Richard physically, who's usually in very good shape at that time, was still recovering. And to say that to Richard, and then he ended with, um, you can always reach me now, I'm so glad that we had this moment again you know meanwhile i'm up in the hillside and and i don't know this is all going on and i come down and richard's weeping i mean he's weeping his whole body has been taken over by and i don't know how to call that but it's interesting a time traveling spirit that was always his friend and we come out and he says monica you have to write down every word and richard's a real a real supporter of women. I do want to say that to all the boom goddesses out there because it's hard to find a man that will say this. He said to me, Monica, I know that you're part of this. I would have never walked back in there if you hadn't been in there. I know that that it's all about you. I want you to know it's all about you what just happened to me. And I thought, well, that's that takes a lot for a man to even say that just sometimes. So you know, like there yeah, are chills. I'm totally, totally okay. goosebumps. Not the first time either during this interview, just feeling them on my arms. Me too. And now and now there are tears and in my eyes. Tears. Just uh-huh. saying, it's radio, yeah. but... And so we get down to the van, and we have an Egyptian guide with us. And so I'd never had asked. I said, so what is that in the hillside exactly? Is Akhenaten supposed to be up in the, it was that a tomb? What, what is that? He goes, no, that's the tomb of his high priest. And he said, uh, and of course, the 
body has been removed, the tomb has, the, the actual sarcophagus has been removed. And then, and, and so I'm trying to write all this down while Richard's weeping, and, and I'm writing all this down. And I, so I said, oh, so what, what was his name? So he goes, <laughs> our guide says, Mira, like a Mira, like oh. a Mira. <laughs> like you, in America, except in Egypt, it would be a big capital backward R, right? A Ra, you know, but it's a Mira. And then Richard just started weeping all yes. over again. And that was yes. pretty much, uh, then we healed after that. <laughs> oh, man, I think we need to take a short break. Just a moment Just or to two catch to our breath. Just. <laughs> and maybe take some water and bring ourselves back to our studio. Because we are seriously all in Egypt right now. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. And this is B.B. Peters with Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks. Tears streaming down my face. (laughs) Tears coming down your face after the amazing story that Monica Chapin just shared about her life adventures and Richards and her passion project, the Moonlight Collector. So, Monica, we leave you in Egypt. Now you're back in Tucson. And what has happened in the past... Uh, several years to bring this amazing discovery, this uh, amazing project back to life. Okay. Uh, Yes, when we got back from Egypt, we, of course, mused over everything that had just happened to us. And the lines and the sentences that came from Marah, the high priest of uh, Akhenaten, kept ringing in Richard's ears, which were that these petals, these petals of moonlight. And Richard kept saying to me, when the big collector was up, um, you know, thousands of people maybe came, but the most ill people in the world could not come. Uh, They couldn't make it there. We had people helicoptered in. I mean, we had crazy things and people who really had to get there. But honestly, it, it needed to be maybe a smaller version. Maybe these petals were going to come down and we're supposed to create a portable version. And then people can own them or wellness centers could have them. And then they could really actually maybe get around the world. So that was the thought that kind of came back from Egypt. But we had no money, so we we had to wait and wait and wait. Finally, after about three years after the collector went down, uh, we were feeling like, wait a minute, you can't unsee something you've seen. You can't. You cannot forget it. I can't forget all the things that happened, and certainly I still have it in my heart to do this. And so we began slowly but surely doing prototypes of the smaller portable mirror, which is about 41 inches by 30 inches. Um, It's an exact replica, after 35 prototypes, may I add, uh, because Richard's very exact about the light. Light can hurt you and light can help you, as I said in the beginning, and he had to have the correct light coming into your eyes. So the portable one is called the Moonlight Collector. The original was the Interstellar Light Collector. and it's uh, at my home, we make them, uh, we do sell them. Uh, at the moment, uh, we're not selling them, but we are demonstrating the light for people. Being an exact replica, instead of being a six foot beam, you're now getting a six inch beam uh, with the same intensity. Uh, so it reaches your eyes. We tell people to begin with your eyes and, and different the, you know, places on the top of your head and then bring it down to something that might be bothering you and bring it back up. Now, the only difference is instead of three minutes, it takes 20 minutes. Now, we have done testing to figure this out, and um, certainly if you're 
seriously ill, it might take longer. But if you're just a basic person with basic problems, 20 <laughs> minutes will do it for you. And I've seen remarkable things. Um, one thing that happened to me was eyesight. Um, improved so greatly uh, when your own eyesight. my own eyesight you know it's funny to hear all the stories but when things happen to yourself you have to just step back and what happened was after 35 prototypes uh, which took a year and a half uh, we're on the 35th prototype and we had an older man who was in his 90s in Cape Cod who wanted to buy it and he's saying I can't live much longer Richard get this thing to me <laughs> and and Richard says I can't till it's right and then uh, so I'm trying the, the the 35th one and I'm I'm sitting you know about five feet away from the from the moonlight collector it's a six inch beam on my eyes and I spent about 20 minutes in it and then the next morning I woke up and I couldn't see a damn thing and I had to use the word damn but I couldn't and I thought oh my god Richard not only did you develop something that's not working but it actually hurt me oh my god I can't see I can't see close up I can't see far away I can't see anything I am going to the ophthalmologist on the corner and I ran over to my ophthalmologist on Oracle Road <laughs> and he takes me right in because I'm like an emergency and he says to me, the reason you can't see anything, Monica, he says, I don't know what you've been doing, but both of your, both of your visions, your nearsightedness and farsightedness have improved three increments each. So you're uh -huh. not being able to see with your contacts or glasses on or anything on because it's too strong for you. And I went, what? Been, <laughs> I mean, it's been corrected. It would have been corrected. Oh. It had been corrected three increments each, nearsightedness and farsightedness. And, and then I just, I immediately called Richard from the doctor's office. I said, oh my God, I think you have it. Because, uh, and since that time, it's, it's been improving. And in fact, my, I, I don't use one of my contacts at all anymore. It's completely gotten better. Uh, it's an amazing thing to me. At overnight in one session, as, as you asked earlier, uh, come on. I mean, that was like crazy. And even the doctor said that. So then we went ahead and, and spent the money to make the actual collector, which um, if you go to my website. <laughs> what is that website, please? People oh, yes. are going to be going there okay. right away. <laughs> go to my website. Um, there's two of them because I also have another thing to talk about. But the main website is AmazingMoonlight.com. AmazingMoonlight.com. And on that website, you will definitely see the the present um, portable collector, and you will also see uh, a lot about the past. Uh, you'll see a, the large collector, the light that comes out of it, all the studies we did um, on water, moonlight uh, pH balances out water. Uh, we did studies on agriculture with seeds. Uh, it, it makes the seeds germinate quicker. Even seeds that have, have been uh, genetically modified by the U of A uh, sprouted you know, 50 times better than than uh, normal after they've been in moonlight. It's it's the whole planet has been bathed in moonlight. So of course, everything in on the planet has a reaction to moonlight. And Monica, and please tell people how best to reach you so they can contact you. How? Uh, well, if you go on the website, I am still very personally involved. I will answer everybody. Oh, <laughs> personally, excellent. I have a little staff, but, you know, they're mostly uh, doing other things because I also have another uh, thing that has come out of this. And it started years ago when we had the large collector. Uh, people started telling us, of course, all the wives' tales about uh, moonlight and you hear everything about it and one thing that kept coming to the surface was that moonlight cr um, will clear crystals and so we wound up starting a business at that time clearing 
crystals. And then we actually got the U of A involved. The University of Arizona, the head of the University of Arizona Geology Department did a study with large crystals and he kept half of each crystal over at his office and put it in a Raman spectrometer and the other half we brought out to the collector. And then what happened then was that the ones in the Moonlight Collector cleared. So I have started crystal patches with moonlight-infused crystals in them, and that's another website called intunepatch.com. Intunepatch.com. We that's are okay. out of time. Okay. Monica, we could sit here for another yep. couple of hours and talking about this. We'll have we to come so back and you. go over the research. We so thank you for coming in and giving the story to our listeners. Thank you so very oh, thank much. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, everyone out there. Get yourself in the moonlight, even if you don't come to mine. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs. <laughs> <laughs>